I will be uh, speaking every other Sunday this month, uh, so you'll see more of me. Uh, that may be good, it may not be, I don't know. Uh, what I've chosen to do is a series of sermons on the prodigal son in order to have some continuity. That series in Luke 15 is a very familiar service, series and sermon, and that's always a little bit of a problem because we hear things like, uh, like this, these verses, think, oh, I know that, I know what that's about, and so we just kind of tune out, but we shouldn't. You may be wondering, well, why, are you, why did you pick this particular parable? I think maybe because we have finished Christmas, and Christmas often reveals and it reminds us of a prodigal in our own families. You know, it's the one who doesn't show up for Christmas, the one who doesn't seem to be interested in what the family is doing. Uh, the person who left the family years ago kind of turned his back on the family and just is off somewhere, who knows where, doing his particular thing, uh, who avoids the get-togethers that the family has. Every family has some pain in it. Every family has a prodigal. Uh, maybe you were the prodigal. Probably your family has it. My family does. It's painful. And we, we try to understand why that has happened. And we maybe ask ourselves, was it something I did or said? Uh, or we wonder, is there something that I could do to bring about more reconciliation uh, again? God's family has prodigals as well. Uh, you think of Jesus' spiritual family, his disciples, there were actually two prodigals. Judas, yes, but Peter also as well. We've read the whole parable here just to give you some context. You notice that it begins with, and he said. The idea is that it's a continuity with the previous few verses that talk about the lost, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and now the lost son. Jesus told these three parables, I think in order to challenge and to reach out to his audience at that particular time. There were those in the audience like the Pharisees and the, spirit, uh, the, tri the scribes who didn't think they needed God. They were just fine. They were righteous already. And then there were others like the sinners and the tax collectors who were beginning to be interested in Jesus, and this was to welcome them, to draw them in. There's a place for you here. Come, listen. With the parable on the prodigal son, Jesus gets very personal as he talks about people that you and I can really identify with. 
We know the younger son. We've been him in many ways, distant from the Lord at different times of our lives. We know the older brother. We've been him too, self-righteous, looking down at others, uh, thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And we know the Father. We have all tasted of His mercy and His compassion, His grace that is just extravagant. We still do not understand it. Today we begin with the younger son. In him we see something of an anatomy of sin. We see it in its rawness, in its undisguised nature to see what it does to the sinner and to those who are sinned against. Sin drives us, first of all, from those who love us. It drives us from being able to think clearly about different things. Sin divides us. We have the division here of the property, the inheritance, the son who's divided from his father, from his brother, and eventually from himself. We see how sin distracts, how it assures this young man that uh, if he goes after the good life, he'll really be happy. But it doesn't last for very long. Sin deceives with those pleasures. And most of all, sin destroys. It destroyed the son's inheritance, destroyed his relationship with his father, with his brother, certainly damaged, destroyed the father's reputation in the community that one of his sons would do something like this. The son sees eventually the consequences of his sin, his choices. Now what? Now what does he do? Where does he go? from here. And we've all seen these consequences of sin in our world, in our families, in our own lives. Where do we go from here? And that's really another reason why I picked this parable, because this is the beginning of a new year, and you may find yourself recognizing there's sin in my life, there's things that I've done that have separated me from God, have separated me from my family. Uh, what do I do? Where do I go from here? This is the beginning of a new year, and it can be the beginning of a new life and a new direction in each of our lives. So given this kind of background, let's see where we go from here. A few years ago, uh, Bob Newhart, I don't know if you remember him, uh, he had that sort of dry wit about him, and he was an innkeeper in Vermont. He had uh, this rather brash, mouthy, self-confident, overly confident maid who would get herself into trouble with her mouth. And eventually the consequences would catch up with her and she'd have to admit that she was wrong and she'd say, sorry, sorry, sorry. There. Is that better? 
Well, no. It wasn't better. Lots of people say they're sorry. But are they? How do we know? Do we just wait and see if their lives reflect that they really were sorry? How do we know if we're really sorry? You know as well as I do, you can ask God for forgiveness and mean it, and a couple of minutes later, you do the same thing. And you wonder, what's, did I really repent? Saying I'm sorry is one of the hardest things that we do because it strikes at our self-pride and feelings of self-worth. The parable of the prodigal son gives us a picture of what real repentance ought to look like. And so we're focusing on the son this morning. We'll look at the father two weeks from now, and then we'll look at the older brother uh, after that. The, I think it would be good to read one more time the passage, the smaller passage that I'm wanting to focus on this morning, Luke chapter 15, verses 17 through 20. So let's stand one more time, beginning with uh, verse 17. But when he, that's the younger son, came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. That's where we'll stop. You may be seated again. That word repent, in some ways, is an unfortunate translation because we think, we think of repent as being sorry again for what we've done. But the sense of the Greek word is not on emotions of regret. Rather, it means to change our thinking, change our direction, change what we are doing and continuing that change. The prodigal son's actions here really teach us that the road from spiritual lostness has to run through real repentance. The road from being lost, being separated, the only way is to come back, to return, to repent. When the prodigal left his father to pursue the life that he wanted, that what he thought was the good life, he experienced the consequences. He was lost, and he lost his wealth, his inheritance, his relationships, his family, his freedom, his identity as a son, his dignity as he fed the pigs, which is about as low as you can go if you are uh, a Jewish young man. 
And the only way to change that was to turn around, to repent. Maybe in a congregation this size right now, it's quite possible that this is describing someone here. Maybe all of us in one way or another in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. The only way is to turn around. This parable really differs in the parable, from the parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep in that uh, it's talking about a person. And we can identify with people, people like this, with the lost. So along with the prodigal son, let's find out what real repentance looks like. First of all, real repentance results when we recognize our sin and its consequences. We see it. We understand it. We acknowledge it. Yes, that's me. That's who I am. Verses uh, 15 and 16 here list some of those consequences of his choices. No inheritance, no so-called good friends after the money runs out, no status, no food, no concern or compassion from others. He has nothing left anymore. I'm reminded of the story of a little boy who came home from uh, Sunday school and his mom and dad asked him, well, what did you learn this morning? Oh, we learned about the prodigal son. And um, what did you learn about him? Well, we learned that when he lost all of his money, he had to start selling things and uh, to have food. So first he sold his coat, then he sold his shirt, then he sold his pants, and finally he sold his underwear. And that's when he came to himself. That's when he came to himself <coughs> with nothing else left. He had nothing to distract him so he could think clearly. Without the distractions, I think he could see his actions uh, more clearly. He could see, finally, how much he had hurt his father by what he had done. He could feel his father's hurt. His loss finally showed him what he had lost, or what he had given up, all of those things that he had once had. He says, you know, my father's servants have more than I have now. Look where I am at. I don't think it's until we lose what we have that we realize the consequences of our actions many times. And it's possible that some of the difficulty that we go through right now is a result of some choice, some action 
that we ourselves made? Uh, is it maybe that somebody is treating us pretty roughly? Could that be the result of the way we have treated somebody in the past and we just kind of forgot about it? Uh, have we lost something that we thought was so important and that we just figured our lives would revolve around and it begins to cause us to see that that was not that important. Is there maybe a distance between us and somebody else? And that may be to alert us to the distance between us and our Heavenly Father because of something that we've done. Recognizing consequences can lead to real repentance. And for repentance to happen, we really do have to come to ourselves. The unpleasant consequences can lead us to retrace our steps, to figure out where did we get off the path. And that's the second thing about real repentance. It revolves around returning turning back. In verse 18, you notice here, uh, the prodigal son resolves to go back to his father. And then in verse 20, he does exactly that. He doesn't waste any time trying to figure out what he should do. It's pretty obvious to him what he needs to be doing. You notice how in verse 18, uh, he resolves what he's going to say. He goes over it again and again in his mind. Why? Because this is too important not to get right. And he wants to have it ready just in case his father does receive him. He knows what he's going to say. He has to turn around. Uh, man was driving along on an unfamiliar road and he began to notice a number of signs that said uh, detour road ahead out well he kept driving thinking eh, you know those are probably old signs don't mean anything so he continues to drive and he gets to a bridge and there's a sign on the bridge that says half mile road out well, I'll probably get to where I need to be going before that half mile. So he continues to drive, and sure enough, he comes to the end of the road, and it says, you must turn around. So he turns around, he gets back to the bridge, and there is a handwritten sign on the bridge, and that sign says, welcome back, stupid. You know, that's true for all of us turning around, and, and that's one of the reasons why it's so difficult for us to turn around, because we feel so stupid. How could I have done that? Why did I do that? It's embarrassing. It means admitting that we were wrong, and there's no shortcut to getting back to the right road. We have to go back to the place where we turn off of 
where we were walking with the Lord. And I think God takes us back to that so that we understand where it was and we recognize that when we get to a temptation or a place like that again in our lives. We realize, I know where that's going, and we don't go down that road. Returning points us back to God, and that's always the right direction for us to be going in. I think there's maybe another reason for the younger son rehearsing what he's going to say to his father. And I think that's because he knows it's not going to be easy. So if he's a little more prepared, he's more likely to follow through with that. Real repentance requires relinquishing everything. It requires us giving up in order to come back. This young man left carefree, rich, happy-go-lucky, proud, haughty, self-confident, self-righteous, full of dreams, big plans. And now he has come to where he's at, broke and broken. And he sees what's happened. He's going to come back in tattered clothes, smelling like pigs. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on a farm. I don't know if you've ever been around pigs. But there is something about the smell of pigs that lingers. It's not like that with cows or chickens. But if you've been around pigs and you've messed around with them, other people will know. You've been around pigs. And so that is coming with him. He didn't have time to take a bath and all of that and put on some cologne and stuff. He smelled like a pig. And he's going to have to admit that he's wrong. He's going to have to admit to his father that he was wrong. That he didn't know what was best for him after all. He'd made a terrible choice, terrible mistake. He's going to have to relinquish his pride. He's going to have to relinquish his position. And he understands that. I don't deserve to be a son anymore. I'd be happy just to be a servant. He's going to have to relinquish his status and his claim to be a part of the family. He's just going to be a worker in the family. That's the most he can hope for. He can't make any deals when he comes back. He has nothing to deal with. He has gambled and he has lost everything. And that's really what real repentance is about. It's relinquishing. It's recognizing uh, I can't justify what I did. Uh, I have been completely wrong. There's no goodness in me. We're not really repenting if we are still blaming somebody else. We're not really repenting if we find reasons or we're trying to find reasons 
for why we did what we did and to justify it. We're not really repenting if we're still coming back to God, hoping to be, be able to make some kind of a deal with him. We have to come back broken and broke because that's what we are. That's who we are. We have a hymn that I'm sure you have sung often, Rock of Ages. And there's a wonderful stanza in there that really captures what I'm talking about here. It says, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. That's how we have to come back to the Lord. With the empty hands that we have and giving up anything and everything that we might have clung to. Not only did the consequences of his choice get his attention, so did his thinking about his father. And that's the last thing I want us to look at about repentance. Real repentance always relates to the father. To his physical father here, but to the spiritual father as well. You know, isn't it interesting when he wants the inheritance, he can't wait to get away from his father? To be on his own? And now, he can't wait to get back to his father, to see him in hopes that maybe he would receive him back. He realizes how his life is different now from what it had been. And he sees his father's goodness, his generosity. Dad wasn't so bad after all. And many of us have come to realize that in our lives. We turned away from our parents. We thought of how they didn't know anything or what they were doing. I remember going to college and uh, coming back being amazed at how much my dad had learned while I was gone. My degree, is, my undergraduate degree is in economics. And I came to realize I had never seen an economist like my dad. Dad made a living for our family on a small acreage and somehow kept everything running with just a little bit. That's being an economist. This young man says, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. That's where his problem started when he rejected his father. And the scribes and the Pharisees who are listening to this, they really have turned their back on God. And what they've done is to trust in their own goodness, their own actions, their, what they earned, and therefore what God needed to give them. They deserved this. They worked for this. 
and they wanted their spiritual inheritance now, just like the young man. Jesus shows them through this parable that the Father is central, and they need to run to him the way the tax collectors and the sinners have been running to him. Notice what the, father, what the son says. I have sinned against heaven. All sin. Everything that we do against others ultimately is against our heavenly father. It's disobeying his commandments to love the people around us, the neighbors around us. This man very specifically had broken the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. And he did not honor his father at all. Sometimes repentance is hard because we realize the situations where we made the mistake and we have to ask people's forgiveness. And you've probably had instances of where you asked somebody's forgiveness and it didn't go well. I remember in a church in Owensboro where I pastored, I did something at some point that really hurt and angered a man in the congregation. And he confronted me in front of others as to what I had done. And I recognized and I asked for his forgiveness. And his response was, you can't change. It's too late. And for the next two years, I kept going back to him, asking for forgiveness. And that was hard to recognize that he was not going to give that forgiveness. And we've all had instances of things like that. And when that happens, that colors the way we see repentance. Like, yeah, I tried that once. That didn't go real well. That's where we need to remember it's different with our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father is always full of grace, always ready to forgive always ready to receive us back again. It's not too late. Yes, our sin is first against our Heavenly Father. We ought to be going to Him. He is gracious. He is merciful. I think of uh, Psalms like uh, Psalm 103, verses 8 through 13. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward us, toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That's our Heavenly Father. There are about 30 times in the Bible where God describes himself using these words. Why so many times? Because we forget. 
we forget. And he continually reminds us that's who he is. It's an extravagant grace. I'm reminded of a man who went to uh, emergency, uh, to a hospital to have some stitches removed. And uh, he told the nurse that he's kind of in a hurry. And she said, oh, well, do you have another doctor's appointment? And that's why you're in a hurry? And he said, no, I have an appointment at 9 o'clock to have breakfast with my wife at the nursing home. I breakfast with her every morning. Well, is she going to get mad if you're a little bit late? Uh, no, she's not going to even know me. She's not going to know you? No, she has Alzheimer's. She doesn't know who I am. So you go every day to have breakfast with her and she doesn't even know you? And he said, no, she doesn't know me. But I know her. And I have to do this. Well, by our sin, oftentimes, we say we don't really know God. We don't remember him in his grace and his mercy. But he remembers us. And he will always receive us back again. So I'm wondering, this morning, anything in your life that helps you to relate to this prodigal son? Things that you've done, that you've said, and you recognize that you've hurt someone, you've hurt the Lord. This is a good day to come back, to start fresh, to renew that relationship with the Lord first and with the person that you maybe have hurt. This is a good time, a good day for repentance, for turning around, coming back, and experiencing the amazing grace of our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this parable because it sure does speak to each one of us. We are that son and we are that older brother. We have sinned against you and we've sinned against others. We want to come back. We need your grace and mercy. And so we come repentant, understanding better what that means, and asking you, as we repent, to help us to stay on the road and not get off again. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.